0: Welcome back again to Badquaker.com podcast. Today is podcast number 42. It is Thursday, Thursday already. Is that right? It sure is. Thursday, October 27th, 2011. Wow. What a year. Um. <laughs> We're going to go off the main topic today. Well, it seems like we're going to go off the main topic today. I think what you might find is this really is the topic, but um, uh, but, it, but it's going to appear as though we're going off of our main topic. Uh, I'm going to take us into something that I normally don't talk about here on badquaker.com, but I think it's important to touch on it now and then. The reason that I don't really talk about it a lot is because there are already a lot of podcasts and there are a lot of websites and there are a lot of forums and there is, there's a lot of resources available uh, to learn in this area. But I thought uh, at this point we've done over 100 articles, podcasts, interviews, and, and articles. We've done over 100 and I haven't specifically done one uh, directly on um independent living being prepared for disasters making your home making your your home uh, at least to some degree pay for itself rather than just be a constant drain on your budget Uh, these things these these concepts like urban uh, uh, homesteading um, uh, home gardening preparedness uh, even those what some people call survivalism um, like I say, these things are are covered uh, over and over and over on the Internet with people who have spent a tremendous amount of effort and time putting together uh, programs and processes and everything. So I'm not going to try to directly compete with those people. What I want to do is give a perspective from an anti-statist point of view as to why it's important for libertarians specifically and most specifically those libertarians who are anarcho-capitalists like myself to uh, be as independent as possible in the, in the way that we uh, provide food for ourselves. Um, you know everything else uh, fades away um, and becomes less important if you, if you can't eat. And uh, if we're depending upon the state or the, or the state roads or the state um, through the state authorized uh, corporations to provide us all of our food then we're, we're very vulnerable because of, as I've said over and over and over the state's going to collapse the state has flaws built within it that guarantees that it will fail um, and it will fail on a big scale but it will repeatedly fail on small scales all you have to do I mean, this example is stated over and over and over, especially on the Internet. But all you have to do is take a look at Katrina and take a look at the the severity that the state failed people that were depending on the state. Um, I've often used the example of uh, Hurricane Ike. When Hurricane Ike, uh, it came ripping up through Texas and made its way all the way up into the Midwest. When it hit Ohio, here where we are in Ohio, it took our roof it did a lot of damage in our neighborhood. We were out for something like uh, I can't remember now. We were out of electricity for something like 14 days or 16 days or something. I'd have to go back and check my notes uh, uh, about that. But um, and other areas were worse than the, uh, were out longer than we were. And different people react to these situations differently. We were very fortunate in the sense that. The neighborhood that we're in, there are a lot of independent thinking people, and um, we went the whole time. I don't think I saw a single police vehicle or emergency vehicle of any kind during that entire time. I didn't hear ambulances. I didn't hear sirens going. I didn't hear um, of any notable amount. I'm sure there were. I'm sure these people had to uh, continue their services, but what I'm saying is right within our neighborhood uh there was no um uh we're we're very fortunate that the neighborhood we live among a lot of the people just on my street garden and so when when the winds came through from from Ike and they did such damn such devastating damage to so many houses and, and really I I have some video I walked around out there maybe I'll maybe i'll uh find the video and put it up on the bad quaker uh youtube website that i just set up but uh i wouldn't i wouldn't guarantee that's going to happen in the next 24 hours but anyway um the almost every house around us was damaged in some ways in some way now some of the damage was very very light but uh some of the damage was severe and um once the wind stopped uh, and everybody sort of settled into the fact that we're all going to be out without power for a while. There were people walking through the neighborhood checking on each other and making sure everybody was okay and seeing if everybody, you know, see if anybody needed anything or if anybody had um, meat that was going to go bad. We had uh, neighborhood cook-offs. We had neighborhood chili cooks uh, to to try to use up the meat before it spoiled. Um, in our household, we were particularly fortunate because we already have some degree of preparation for that kind of thing so for example within our home um, i years ago uh, not long after we moved into this house uh, i converted a uh, uh, a coat closet into a pantry and then we expanded further food storage uh, as as we could um, into the garage and then eventually, as it stands today, we've got uh, essentially a pantry in the basement, a pantry in the garage, a pantry in a closet off of the kitchen that used to be a coat closet off the living room, and I and I walled it in and opened up a new doorway. So we have uh, the pantry in the basement, the pantry in the, in the uh, garage, a pantry uh, uh, off of the kitchen plus all the normal kitchen storage that's in there and then we also have uh, upstairs in one of the bedrooms we've converted to a pantry so we have um, a variety of food storage um, for just you know whatever occasion comes up and if, if you notice that's not all in one spot because where we are here in Ohio, we're right in a range of tornadoes every year. So we figure if a tornado comes through, it, it, it's possible to take the entire house. But what's more likely is that it will damage part of the house. So we have stuff in all those different locations so that if part of the house is damaged and we can't get to it, part of the house will probably be standing and we can get to it. So all the eggs are not in one basket, so to speak. So yes, we store food. Uh, as I look right here in my office where I'm sitting, as I look to my right, I see a 5-gallon bucket. Now, uh, let me back up. Uh, any of you who are following the podcast day to day will realize that I've been uh, doing a sort of a modified paleo diet lately, uh, trying to get uh, all grass products out of my system and, and maybe get my uh, arthritis leveled so that I'm not hurting so bad. But above and beyond that, now I'll go back to what I started to say. As I sit in my desk here in, in my office that we have been working on, and hopefully, by the way, hopefully the acoustics are better, we've done some more improvements uh, to try to, to get rid of some of this background noise and some of the tinniness that was in the, in the uh, previous uh, broadcasts coming from my office. Okay, will I ever finish this sentence? I'm sitting at my desk. And to my right, to my direct right, there is a five-gallon bucket of uh, flour, and in a in a orange uh, Home Depot five-gallon bucket, sealed. And there's a five-gallon bucket of rice in an orange uh, Home Depot five-gallon bucket. In addition to that, I have uh, my wine-making uh, material. I have. Um, uh, all the equipment that i use not all i have some of it stored downstairs in the basement i have some of it in the garage i have some of it in the kitchen but anyway i have my my big buckets and i have my uh, carboy uh, all right here to my right on shelves in in my office in addition to that i have a uh I've taken two. I, I decided this year, early this year, to learn how to uh, garden in five gallon buckets. I did that not because I needed to, but because I wanted to learn how. Uh, I have plenty of garden space in my backyard, uh, but I, I was able to get a hold of a lot of, of five gallon buckets, so I just experimented so that I could learn. Um, what was the, a good way, and what was not a good way, to grow things in five-gallon buckets? Now, actually, I started this last year, and I learned a lot last year. And using the lessons last year, I uh, applied those this year, and I had tremendous success this year using these new this new process with the five-gallon buckets. What I do, what I found out last year was that uh, when you when you use a five-gallon bucket as a planter. Um, You have to constantly water it. Uh, It it will dry out really quick. It's susceptible to heat because it's out of the ground. It's up in the air. So it's susceptible to hot weather. It's susceptible to cold weather. Um, It has a tendency to dry out quicker rather than dirt being down in the ground. Um, So you're constantly watering it. You're constantly dealing with overheat. And you're constantly dealing with the threat of cold. Well, you know, when it's cold and when it's hot. You don't have to worry about cold in the middle of August, but you know what I mean. Um, So this spring, 2011, uh, I used my lessons learned, and I took half of my buckets that had uh, no holes or anything drilled into them, and I modified them to be the outer shell. And I took another group of my buckets, uh, and I cut holes in them and made them as an inner shell so that I created in essence a reservoir in the bottom what I'll do at some point in time is I'll make a video of how I did this but um, uh, and I'll put that up on the bad quaker youtube site but for now I'll just describe it Um, so I have these buckets one inside the other one five gallon bucket inside the other and uh, there's a fill spout that fills into the bottom one and then the bottom one has uh, mechanisms that I put in there that actually wick uh, water up into the inner bucket from the outer bucket. So all I have to do is keep the bottom bucket full and it will wick up uh, water into the top bucket without flooding the top bucket and keeping the roots of the plant uh, too wet uh, it allows only the amount of moisture that the, that the plant needs uh, to be available for it. So it evens out the the going dry, the way too wet, the going dry. This is really important if you're growing tomatoes, because if you're growing tomatoes, uh, tomatoes need uh, consistent moisture. Uh, otherwise, they'll grow too quickly, and then they'll then they'll their growth will be stunted, and you'll get problems like. Um, this is, this is one reason, it's not the only reason, but you'll get problems like um, the blossom end rot where the tomato will develop perfectly except the end where the blossom used to be will rot. Um, and there's a variety of other problems too that consistent watering helps you get rid of. Now, that's a lot of rambling about that, um, and I didn't really give the reason as to why. Well, let me say one other thing first. I, I mentioned that we do have a garden. We, we do have a garden, and I've, I've mentioned it several times in these podcasts. Um, we've had a garden now for, oh, I don't know how many years, a lot of years. And um, I, I started out with almost no gardening knowledge. And I just uh, continued to try things and try things and study and read on the internet and and learn as much as possible so that I could uh, be as self-sufficient as possible. Now, there's a lot of advantages to this. if I'm growing my own food first off I know that it's clean I know that it's not infected with any weird things that something might come from the grocery store with salmonella or whatever because I know my own uh, gardening practices Uh, I know also that everything that I'm growing is being done without the aid of uh, harsh chemicals I I make my own soil, I mulch I use uh, kitchen and garden wastes and I use leaves and I make my own uh, soil uh, so I know that I, I'm, I'm not pouring a bunch of petrochemicals on my plants to to force them to grow um, we have bugs and one of the things about having a garden is you come to a point of, dis- of decision where uh, do I use chemicals to kill the bugs or do I let the bugs eat my crops and uh, it's it, once you start learning um, you're not there's more options than that you don't just have to go and fall back on harsh chemicals there are uh, more natural um, uh, re- uh, avenues that you can take to combat the bugs and also um, you can learn to live with a lot of the bugs and yes they do some damages let me, let me give an example our first year that the aphids really started attacking my grape plants. I thought, uh, oh no, uh, you know, what am I going to do about these aphids? And they started really hitting my grape plants hard, and it, and I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't want to use a bunch of harsh chemicals, but I didn't want these aphids to eat all my plants either. Well, as I learned, first off, uh, I encouraged... Um, Uh, aphid-eating bugs, like uh, praying mantises and ladybugs. I learned how to encourage them, rather than poisoning everything and killing the predator bugs, I learned how to encourage the predator bugs. Then in addition to that, I began watching, and I found out that the ants, if I'd leave the ants alone and don't fight the ants, uh, folks, fighting ants is almost always a futile prospect so when I learned not to fight the ants that the ants in my garden are not a problem then what I found was that the ants took over and started taking care of the aphid problem the ants go in and they sting the aphids and it it, uh, actually drugs the aphid and makes it stupid so it doesn't know how to run away and then they bite the wings off the aphids so that the aphid can't fly away and then they herd the aphids like cattle And the ants will herd these aphids out onto a leaf, and they'll just eat an entire leaf. Uh, And as they do that, the ants then come and milk the aphids and take the, uh, sorry for the interruption there, you heard the phone ringing, and I forgot to turn off the ringer before we started. So we were talking about, or I was talking, you weren't talking, I was the only one talking you you seem you seem awfully silent today (laughs) sorry i'm just messing with you okay so um so the ants will herd the aphids onto one spot and there will be uh soldier ants there that are that are there just to protect the aphids and then there are uh uh, ants that go back and forth from the aphids back to the anthill and they milk the aphids of, uh, uh, I believe this stuff is called dew, I'm not sure, but it's a sugary liquid that uh, that the ants milk from the aphids, and they take it back in and they feed the anthill with it, they feed the colony, and so uh, there's a constant string of these uh, uh, milkmaid, these nurse, uh, I guess they're more like milkmaid ants, They go back and forth and milk the herd of aphids and then take the liquid down into the anthill. So as I learned about this, I figured out that actually they're not really hurting my grape plants that bad. If the uh, amount starts to become so much that it starts to hurt the the, uh, uh, grape plant, it's really handy because the ants keep all the aphids in one location. So you just go over with a pair of gloves on and a pair of snippers and you have to wear gloves because the ants will aggressively attack you. You go over with a pair of of gloves and snippers and you snip off that one leaf that contains a whole herd of aphids and uh, half a dozen ants or so. And then you can just take your foot and smash those on a rock or whatever and kill those. And if you do that every couple days... Uh, just thin the herds out a little bit, then the ants will never actually hurt the uh, grape plants so bad that they do any serious damage to it. Now, the other thing I learned that you can do is you can plant other plants nearby that the aphids and the ants will prefer over the grapes. For instance, um, uh, uh, lamb's foot, lamb's lamb's quarters, that's what it's called, not lamb's foot, <laughs> uh, lamb's quarters. Uh, lamb's quarters grows really well where i'm at here in ohio and i found out that the uh, ants and the aphids will oftentimes prefer lamb's quarters over other plants so i started growing lamb's quarters like crazy and it's not bad to pick some and throw it in a salad now and then too but i've got uh well during this peak of the summer when we were at the height of the growing season i had lamb's quarters that was like 12 15 feet tall um, now, somebody going by and not knowing, they might have thought that was weeds, because oftentimes lamb's quarters are considered weeds. But lamb's quarters is food, and uh, not only do we like it; it has food. Uh, the ants and the aphids enjoy it too, and so that will keep the ants and the aphids off of my broccoli, or off of my green beans, or off of my um, uh, uh, grape plants. Although they still like the grapes. The the aphids really uh, like the grapes. But anyway, so again, so what's the purpose for all this? Well, if I go out and I gather uh, raspberries from my raspberry bushes, and I gather grapes from my grape bushes, and I gather, and I gather cherries off my cherry trees, and I gather apples off my uh, apple trees, and I bring all that fruit into my house... And I uh, mash it all up uh, and uh, add it into uh, my buckets and add a little bit of yeast to it Um, and then give it a couple weeks and then I monitor the temperature and monitor how active that the yeast is being. And when the yeast starts to die down and becomes inactive, I rack it through the system a couple times and I remove the solids and I remove the dead yeast and I put it back into a carboy and let it sit for a while and a couple weeks goes by and I rack it again and pretty soon I've got five gallons of wine and I literally have uh, well I, I, I add sugar to my wine so I've got the price of some sugar and I've got the price of yeast, which is I don't know, like a dollar and a quarter for a thing of yeast or whatever. Um, so for very little money, I've got five gallons of wine. Now, if I take used wine bottles, because I save—I I don't save clear wine bottles. Um, I find the 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 darkened wine bottles, the dark green wine bottles, work the best because light is the enemy of wine. Uh, and since we're talking about homemade wine here. Uh, we're not talking about the chemical-rich wine that you buy at, this, at the at a wine store or at a store or whatever. Um, uh, you're not adding a bunch of weird chemicals to it to keep it from spoiling in the sunlight. So it's better to use the dark uh, wine bottles. So if I don't throw away any dark wine bottles, and, and I haven't, and then I build up a supply of dark wine bottles, so now I have five gallons of almost free wine, and I bottle that, and I have to buy corks, but I, so, I bottle it, I cork it, I label it, I put on there, uh, on each bottle of wine, I put a number to tell me what formula that I used, and I keep track of all my formulas and any variation I learn from that process. And so now I have uh, racks of wine in my basement aging. And uh, after it ages for about a year, um, it's good i i i'm not a wine snob so i'm not going to go to any kind of uh, great competition and try to compete with somebody who does this for a living but uh the wine that i make is uh, quite drinkable and and very good and especially if you chill it slightly it's it's very good wine now um how is that libertarian or how is that uh, anarchist well, if I go to the grocery store and I pay $10 for a bottle of wine, or let's even say I go and buy the super cheap, chemical, riddled, wine stuff that they sell for like $4 a, a bottle or $5 a bottle. If I buy that wine, the vast majority of the price is tax. I'm feeding the state when I do that. And I live in Ohio and here in Ohio uh, all liquor sales and all alcohol sales all beer sales all wine sales uh, go through the state now you can uh, grocery stores can sell wine or they can sell the watered down again where is the volume on this thing there took care of that I don't know where it was Okay, sorry about that, folks. Again, this time I actually got the volume turned down on the phone, so it shouldn't ring and bother us again. Why did I move a phone into this office anyway? Well, I know why. So I could do interviews, but okay, anyway, I'm sorry, folks. If this were a professional production, none of these things would have happened. But then again, if this were a professional a professional production, you might not be listening. Um, okay so where was i I was talking about why it's important for me to bottle my own wine well as i was saying the state uh even though the state allows some uh some grocery stores to sell like wine and and beer and some watered down versions of uh, stronger alcoholic uh, beverages essentially the state controls all Um, Alcohol sales in Ohio Uh, So Because the state of Ohio Has decided to be a bunch of Dirty, filthy, fascist pigs um, I Am committed to doing everything I can To not support Their filthy, statist Pig, fascist regime Um, As you can tell I don't have a lot of appreciation For fascist pig Statists who try to run everything, including every aspect of our lives. So, um, uh, not only with wine, but pretty much with everything that we touch and everything we buy and everything that we deal with, we pay layers and layers of taxes on those things. Well, if I can reduce just a little bit, you know, sometimes I make fun of these environmentalists who say, Uh, well we've got to do our part if each one of us just does a little bit we'll save the planet and you know there's a certain amount of silliness to that kind of thinking but on the other hand uh, if we apply that to the state if all of us do just a little bit then we're doing a couple things first off we're reducing our our, what's often called our tax footprint that was stolen from from the green people but if we can reduce that tax footprint we reduce the amount of taxes that we're giving to the state. Then uh, the, the first immediate advantage is that we have that money. So in a sense, it's like uh, uh, like a hundred percent return on an investment. Anything you can do to keep from giving a dollar to the state is a dollar in your own pocket. Now uh, you say, well, you know, what's the big deal if a bottle of cheap wine is like five bucks? And so how much? could you possibly save on growing your own stuff and making your own wine well i save a little bit but that's not really so much the point yes i do uh save a little bit of money and i and i do keep from giving the state that money and all that's true on the other hand um it's it's va- it's valuable uh, learning for me that's one thing It's a really valuable learning tool for me so that I can uh, understand these processes. And so that if given the situation, I can do these things on my own. I could, um, with very little uh, changes in my current uh, winemaking process, I could make enough to sell if I so chose. Um, In under certain circumstances during a collapse of the state or a failure of the state even a temporary one uh, a skill like that might be really handy you know uh, i might be able to uh, utilize that skill uh, for a number of reasons and not just winemaking i'm using that as an example but thinking of all the other things that we grow in the garden um you know, we get asparagus when asparagus when it, during when asparagus is in season. Um, my asparagus plants are right there. I don't do much at all of, after the initial season of getting them in the ground and getting them living and getting getting them self sufficient. They they pretty much do everything else themselves, and then I I, you know, I trim them and, and so forth like that when need be and then mulch them in the winter and and so that they can come back the next spring but pretty much they do their own thing and then when the season is here i get free asparagus and asparagus is very healthy for you and i I like it um it's not that expensive at the grocery store but what i'm growing is not only the reward of uh of not paying someone else for it so it's a financial reward and not only else, uh, not only is it uh, more healthy than something that I've purchased that's been shipped here from California or Mexico or wherever, um, it's more healthy for that. And not only has it reduced uh, the state's uh, ability to tax for all those road taxes and all the the sales of the tires and the sales of the windshield wipers and all the things that go on in transporting asparagus from Mexico to Ohio. Not only is all that, additionally, I have the psychic advantage that, uh, psychic advantage, is that right? Anyway, that I have grown this myself. It's mine. And when I say it's mine, I don't mean I went and bought it from somebody else and now it's mine. It's mine. I. Grew it right out of the ground, and uh, I go out and I cut what I want, and it's fresh right now. It's not fresh two weeks ago; that's been on ice this whole time. It's fresh right this minute. I go cut it, bring it in, rinse it, cook it, and eat it just like that. Um, the The advantage that that has in in just the way a person feels about what they're doing is uh, well worth it on its own. Not only the uh, whatever health advantages uh, come from not buying something hey you know most people let me tell a little story when my children were um, oh let's see my son is the oldest uh, and I think my son was about oh I'm gonna say second grade perhaps we had been uh, living in California and we were homeschooling and uh, and all that kind of thing and uh things turned a little bad for us and we ended up having to uh get out of dodge you know um and so we packed up everything we moved to ohio and we were living a very minimalist lifestyle for a while while we were trying to get things in control um but before we left california we had been living in the mojave desert and um we had a sort of a uh a little zoo in our house of, of different desert animals that we had uh in the house that we were taking care of we had terrariums and so forth we had a tarantula we had vin- a vinegaroon we had a um a pair of iguanas uh, desert iguanas um well most of those things we turned loose uh we didn't we we kept the iguanas cuz they were really friendly with us i mean they were they had really attached themselves to us so uh desert iguanas don't get giant like like other like tropical iguanas desert iguanas are purely vegetarian well these are mojave desert iguanas there may be other iguanas somewhere else in other deserts but the mojave desert iguana is a vegetarian and um they actually have face recognition so they can tell one human from another human so they they got really attached specifically to me and to my son and to uh, the rest of the family but they but they really interacted well with uh, my son and myself um, so we had uh, the iguanas uh, the things that we would feed them uh, we would take them out in the in the yard and they would eat some grass but they really like dandelions they like dandelion blossoms they like dandelion leaves uh, other things that we would feed them in the house we would feed them things like uh, they like broccoli um, Pretty. We didn't really feed them much lettuce. They would eat it, but we didn't feed them much because lettuce doesn't have a whole lot of nutrients. Uh, so we tried to feed them things that were more nutrient rich. But they really liked broccoli. Um, so anyway, so we had to pack up and leave, and we headed uh, cross country. We made it to Ohio. We got all settled in, and the lizards were adapting very well. Um, and uh, we had been feeding them mostly dandelions and other greens that we had there around the yard and everything. And it had been a few weeks, and and uh, we thought, well, we, you know, we have some broccoli, so you know, we just bought broccoli at the store. So we thought, okay, well, we'll just give them some broccoli. They love broccoli and uh, so we put the broccoli in this is for, straight from the store and we washed it, we always wash our vegetables you know. so we washed the broccoli put it in for the iguanas and they ate the broccoli and what we didn't know was in California we were buying when we bought broccoli we were buying it fresh and even though we didn't make an effort it was still local because it was grown right there close to us so, um, in Ohio, the broccoli is still grown in California and shipped to Ohio. And I'm sure it's grown in other places now, but this was uh, early 90s. And uh, Cal- most the broccoli that we were getting in Ohio was coming from California. And what we didn't know is they spray it with sulfides. And uh, humans tolerate low levels of sulfites pretty good usually but small animals don't and we lost both of our iguanas uh, died um, and they just had horrible painful deaths it was terrible Um, and we didn't even know there's no sign in the grocery store that says all these fruits and vegetables have been sprayed with these chemicals and that's not all Uh, sulfides are sprayed very regularly and a lot of humans have horrible allergic reactions to sulfides but there are other chemicals too Uh, potatoes specifically are sprayed with a chemical that you're not told about and this chemical retards the ability of the potato to reproduce so uh, the purpose of this spray is to keep the potato from uh, is to slow the potato down so that it doesn't sprout in your pantry, or in your wherever you keeping it, and keep it wherever you're keeping your potato at, at your house. When you buy a bag of potatoes, to keep them from sprouting, they spray them with this stuff, and this stuff it inhibits its ability to reproduce. And it doesn't just stay on the surface; you can't wash it off. It embeds itself down into the potato. So when you buy a potato from the grocery store, it has this spray in it this spray that inhibits reproduction now I don't know what that means to a human but I know this I would rather grow my own potatoes and so I learned how and I have self-watering bins that grow my potatoes in my backyard The same way with sweet potatoes, I teased Kai the other day, she uh, helped me and I showed her, it was like our little pet project so that she would learn how to do this. And we grew a whole bin full of sweet potatoes. And so I went out the other day and harvested some of those sweet potatoes. Now this is what we grew and there's no weird chemicals sprayed on it or in it or anything else. So you get the satisfaction of knowing that you have done this, and you get the satisfaction of knowing that you're not giving the state tax money, and you have that tax money. And if things turn bad, and the state fails on either a small local level, like it did here when, um, uh, when, Ike, when the remnants of Ike came through and killed all the services and killed electricity and everything, uh we were self-sufficient it it was no it's not a problem our motorhome sitting out there with a generator i can kick on the generator and supply electricity for uh we can't run our house air conditioner with it we can run the air conditioner in the motorhome but we can run everything else in our house off of that generator and so if something like that happens not that big of a deal even if the wind would have if we had if the motorhome would have been sitting there and the wind would have destroyed the motorhome the generator just slides out so it's not a problem we had when uh, when i came through we started uh, cooking up all the bacon that we had in storage uh, before we lost all of our refrigeration. Now we were smart enough that we had, uh, filled up water, uh, filled up, uh, milk jugs with water and stashed them in all the freezers. So even when the electricity went off, there's a store of cold in there to keep the thing chilled for longer than it would have been otherwise. And plus you have storage of water if you need it. It's frozen, but it's there. You can thaw it out. So, um, uh, so when I came through, we started eating up the bacon that we had and eating up all the bread that we had because these things weren't available. The, the grocery store, uh, most of the grocery stores were closed because they had no electricity. The grocery stores that did try to function and open were cleaned out of everything, like, you know, bread and things like that were cleaned out the first day. Um, so, Uh, but that's not a big problem for us because we, even though, again, I'm not eating bread right now, but at that time, and, and even right now, we probably have eight or 10 loaves of bread frozen in the freezers right now. So, uh, so when I came through, uh, we were out front with, uh, gas, um, we have a gas, uh, What's it called? Propane. (laughs) We have an outdoor propane stove, plus we have a a propane grill, plus we have uh, several charcoal barbecue grills, plus we have uh, all the cooking ability inside the motorhome that is all propane as well. So we're sitting out uh, out front um with our with our propane stove cooking bacon having bacon lettuce and tomato sandwiches with lettuce out of the garden and tomatoes fresh out of the garden and bacon out of our storage and bread that we're toasting over open flame uh well other people are walking around saying what do we do do how can we get ice what what are we going to do because of the power outage and we're sitting here just eating blts and watching everybody go by um We were set up so that our water uh, was still heated because we had uh, gas water heaters. So the people who had electric water heaters, uh, actually we had people coming to our house to take showers at our house because they had no uh, hot water at their house because their water heaters were all electric. So when your whole house is dependent on electricity and you don't have any kind of backup system, all it takes is a loss of electricity. Now, um, I came through here in September. If uh, of course it's, that's the season you don't get with storms like that generally don't come through in the middle of February but but ice storms happen and ice storms can be devastating and ice storms can take down large areas um, uh, out of the electrical grid and leave you for long periods of time with no electricity Now, for most of our neighbors had we had a two-week power outage in February there would have been some serious problems here Um, we would have been fine but a lot of these people would have been in serious trouble because most of the houses in the neighborhood we're in are entirely electrical Um, even if, if they have gas heating the gas heating requires electricity to run the fans for the forced air for the for the and and it won't the, the heater won't kick on uh without the fan because it doesn't want to overheat itself so there's safety's built in so even if they uh had uh gas heating the gas heating requires uh, electricity so the vast majority of our neighbors if we had a 2 week power outage due to an ice storm in the middle of February these people would be in serious trouble and we would be fine you see so Uh, whether the state is failing you and again somebody says well you're not talking about the state failing you're talking about the electric company that's fascism who authorizes the electrical monopoly oh well we can choose between providers they're all on the same wires they're all providing the same stuff it's all coming from the exact same electrical generation plants it's all it's all state authorized it's all it's all state controlled monopolies there is no there's no free market of utilities in the United States it's all state controlled so when these state systems fail whether we're talking about floods taking out roads whether we talk, we're talking about union strikes, shutting down truck drivers, shutting down the, the system that gets food to the grocery stores, or whether we're talking about power outages. Ultimately, we're talking about a failure of the state because the state has taught the American society to depend on all of these state-supported functions. And once society all depends on these things, if anything happens in the process that takes them out, then all these people who have depended on the state they have. there's nothing they can do they don't know what to do but if you as a libertarian understand that the state will fail the state has failed the state will fail the state will fail on small local scale the state will fail short-term and the state will fail big-time long-term and on a global level if you understand these things then you have a desire to prepare for those things ahead of time and so that preparation includes more than just the bucket of rice and the bucket of flour that i have sitting beside me it also goes to as far as food items go it goes when you're buying a, a can of tuna don't buy a can of tuna buy two cans of tuna when they're on sale Even if you don't need it, buy two more. Uh, When you're starting to buy toilet paper, instead of buying a a thing of toilet paper, get two. Get three. Catch them on sale. I have, in the room that I'm in, I probably have... uh, Oh my. I'm going to make a wild guess here. And I'm going to say I have uh, probably 250 light bulbs in this room because I knew a couple years ago that incandescent light bulbs were going to be outlawed so every time I went to Home Depot uh, every time they were on sale whatever I would see light bulbs and they're like 89 cents a packet throw one into the shopping cart next time I'm out there they are again 99 cents a packet throw one of them into the shopping cart yeah I never saw it in the budget because it's a tiny little expenditure but now i have literally a lifetime of incandescent bulbs so they can outlaw them they can get rid of them whatever they want to do i will have incandescent bulbs for the rest of my life and not only that but i have them to share or to sell if the situation arises as such and i had that preparation because i saw what the state was doing with incandescent bulbs the other thing is that when I was buying those at $0.89 I was buying those at $0.89 in 2007 dollars and 2008 dollars not 2011 dollars and so that's not a big difference $0.89 or $1.29 you know uh, it's a very small little difference but when you echo that out over a whole household full of things and you make a lifestyle of doing these things then you start to save a tremendous amount of money and when you can buy in volume in bulk on sale rather than buying when you need it then again you get to save a lot of money over the term of of this becoming a lifestyle for you you end up saving a lot of money so so you need a can of tuna uh, or right now, a peanut butter is getting ready to skyrocket if it hasn't already. It may have. I haven't gone down and checked the price of peanut butter, but it's about to, if it hasn't, skyrocket because of a bad harvest. Well, that's okay. I have peanut butter, peanut butter stores good. See, so you buy it when it's cheap and you buy it when you have money and you buy it when all the functions of the state are still working and all the apparatus that keep this whole whole system functioning you buy things when you can when they're on sale taking advantage of, of sale opportunities and then when something happens you're prepared for it and as far as the garden goes Um, the skills that I have learned when we eventually leave Ohio and we eventually move probably to our property in Arkansas or, or possibly in Missouri or wherever. Okay, we'll try that again. Whenever we eventually move to, uh, wherever we end up moving to, or to our property in Arkansas or to Missouri or to wherever we end up moving to for our retirement, when that takes place, um, the, the, wherever we move to, I will be able to grow the vast majority of the uh, of what we need to eat, and that 's probably going to include the proteins as well uh, because I already have quite a bit of experience growing things like chickens and and my wife has experience with rabbits and uh, so in all likelihood uh, and we'll probably have either goats or sheep or something like that, or uh, who knows what but Either way, and I've got experience raising pigs too, so uh, either way, by the time that we actually retire, um, we're going to be mostly food self-sufficient. Now if a person can feed themselves, it's really hard to enslave them. It's really hard to keep a person enslaved if they can feed themselves. Um, And I don't intend to be enslaved the little bit that i'm enslaved right now by the state is more than i want and so everything i can do now to learn how to not be enslaved i want to do that and and you might be saying to yourself yeah but i live in an apartment how what good is this to me i can't have a garden or i live in a city or whatever um there are ways there are ways there are absolutely ways my experiences my experiments with buckets well, that was specifically for the purpose of teaching people uh, how to utilize a window gardens and things like that. And as I mentioned right now, uh, sitting here beside of me is one of my five-gallon buckets that I've moved in for the winter, because it's already starting to get cool at night, and I've moved this in for the winter, and it's got uh, uh, two of my pepper plants in my five-gallon bucket in my office in the window with a grow light uh, with it as well it won't absolutely have to have the grow light but the grow light will help now uh, these pepper plants will stay alive all winter and what that means is that when spring comes around and I move them outside they will almost immediately begin to produce fruit so I don't have to wait I don't have to plant peppers in the spring and wait until the summer for them to develop peppers I will have uh, peppers fresh garden fresh peppers that i've grown entirely with no uh, nasty chemicals of any kind i will have peppers in the spring but what if i want peppers this winter well i've got a lot of dried peppers that i've grown in my garden and i have ground peppers crushed you know peppers for seasoning i have hot and i have mild uh, I have a, a particular blend I call slow green death. That's a particular blend of, of um, green jalapenos and uh, both uh, ripe and unripened uh, Thai peppers um, that's really tasty. And all of that I grew and I ground it all up and I made my own seasoning out of it. In front of my house... Uh, along the sidewalk and and eventually I'll get the YouTube stuff switched over so you'll be able to see that on Bad Quaker YouTube. In the front of my house I uh, built a retaining wall, I put in a swale to catch uh, water and and rain and snow runoff and I put in an herb garden in the front of my house so I have rosemary, I have um, uh, cilantro, I have dill i have oregano i have um flax i have um boy i don't even i can't even remember all of what's out there um coriander uh i can't even remember it all um plus i have what ohio native wild edibles that i have uh, uh nurtured in that area and that i grow um And these things uh, are not only decorative, these herbs in front of my house are not only decorative, they're functional as well. Um, So the purpose of all this is to be self-sufficient and also is to save money and not give it to the tax man. And so it's, it's it's multifaceted, it's a multifaceted advantage. To be, to be prepared like this, to buy in bulk ahead of time when you can afford it. Um, we're coming under, uh, Cindy and I are coming under financial strain with her taking a massive time off of work to be with her uh, ill mother and uh, with us driving back and forth to Missouri so many times. And this would be impossible had we not have had the, res- the reserves of food and the reserves of things. If things get bad, I have silver that I've, you know, I was buying silver when it was $8 an ounce. And so I can go and uh, right now the silver market dipped and it's down around like $32 an ounce or something like that. uh, As opposed to when it was at its height that like $48 an ounce. So we say, oh, well, I don't want to sell right now because it's so low. Well, I don't have to worry about that. I bought it when it was eight, you know. Um, now I bought some when it was eight, I bought some when it was twelve, I bought some when it was fourteen, I bought some when it was eighteen, I bought some when it was thirty. Okay? So I, I consistently had been preparing for times like this that we're in right now. And so when you know, if if the things get bad enough I can just take some of that silver and go sell it, and we're back on our feet again. Because we prepared for these things ahead of time. And above and above and beyond all else, literally, if everything in our world falls apart, we throw the bare necessities. The motorhome stays pretty much ready to go all the time. But in the very worst situation, we throw the worst of the things into, the, or the the most important of the things into the motorhome, and we're on the road and we're out of here, and let the zombies have everything. See, because we're prepared ahead of time not because we're crazed survivalists that's not the situation not because we're gonna uh you know protect the homestead and set up uh machine gun nests or whatever none of that we are simply prepared for what might come at us And in the past, that's paid off tremendously for us when, like the situation I referred to earlier, when it was important that we got out of dodge and we got out of dodge quick. And that's been more than one time that that situation has come up in our lives, that we had to just drop everything and go. And if we weren't prepared, if we didn't know how to do this, it it would have been tragic for us. But because we did know, because we prepared ahead of time, it's just part of life. And when you just go and there it is now uh there's a lot of good sites uh like i've said before uh where you can get a lot of good information my favorite is the survival podcast forum okay now i'm biased because jack Spearco, spierko that runs the survival podcast is a friend of mine i know him we have you know we have eaten chicken over a campfire together and joked and laughed and had fun and he's a great guy So I'm a little biased when I say that that's a great site and it's a good place to find a variety of information and everything, but it's true. It's just an absolute fact. Uh, The Survival Podcast Forum, and I'll put a link on this page, um, in my opinion, is the overall best, uh, well-rounded website um, for just finding information on uh, how to prepare uh, for whatever might come along a a loss of job, uh, you know, an injury, a long-term injury, a storm, uh, a loss, a flood, a loss of electricity or a complete collapse of society, whatever there's stuff at the survival podcast forum that you can find that will show you how to get through it and, and get around it. Um, so that's my commercial for the podcast forum. And, um, I do appreciate you taking the time to... This is, a, this is an odd podcast. I don't normally do these podcasts on this topic. I appreciate you sticking with me and listening to the whole thing. Um, I realize again that I'm not a crazy survivalist. We don't have... Uh, you know, I, I don't have 27 types of each kind of gun and and all those kind of things. I uh it's that's that's not the lifestyle that i'm supporting i'm still a quaker and i'm still peaceful and i'm still uh uh you know uh, i want to make as little impact um as possible in many different ways and so uh you know i'm not a survivalist but i survive and i will survive and you can too no matter what the state does if you prepare for it and you expect the state to fail then you can be a survivor, like we always have been. Thank you very much, folks. Be sure and check badquaker.com for liberty, zero aggression principle, and property rights. Thanks a lot.